Hello and welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Hi, I'm Ziv Raviv. And I'm Shachar Erez. And today we have a special guest, a fellow podcaster, Rhoda Summer uh, from TherapyIDs.net, uh, all the way from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, she is the uh, host of What Healthy Couples Know That You Don't. And this is such a, a brilliant name for a podcast. But uh, I have to say before... Before uh, we start, Rhoda, uh, you've been in private practice for over 40 years and have been helping people online and, and, and face-to-face in all sorts of situations. Hello, Rhoda. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So uh, we want to, uh, you know, we know you're a fountain of knowledge and we, we, we have a lot that we can talk about. I think let's start with just the name of the podcast because I, I'm just too curious. What healthy couples know that you don't, is, is there, is there a, a story of, of that name and what, well, what's that about? Not so much beyond the fact my husband came up with it and we both thought it would stick in people's minds. Um, because he's really, he's a political consultant for liberal Democrats, I will say. And I don't want you to think I had anything to do with who's president right now. And I really think that thinking about what does make relationships healthy. I don't, I would love to teach in high school. I would love to get people thinking early on what makes relationships work. It's the most important part of our life. It's the thing that matters the most and it's the thing we're least educated about. So that's kind of how I was thinking about the title. Yeah, that's great. We're really aligned with that. That's what we're trying to do here. So give us a few tips. What does make a uh... Uh, healthy relationships so I, I think that it's really important that you have 25 to 75 conversations about something that's important and I think people are under this misguided idea that you can have one or two conversations and that's going to solve the problem and when you I think ultimately it's respect for differences that really keeps longevity cooking in relationships. So when you have 25 to 50 com- uh, conversations, you're softening those hard edges of the differences. And that softening, you want that openness. You don't want walls. You want the door open. You want the windows open. You want to let in ideas. Um, one of my favorite examples to use is that I, my clients influence me. I am open to their ideas about things. So I have clients. We're in Western Pennsylvania. It's a big hunting area. And people carry concealed. And I'm not a fan, but I've learned to respect that importance about guns and being able to hunt and using a bow and arrow and all of those things that I had never experienced before. And that openness is what keeps that grease going for respect. If I respect something you do that's a different value than mine, then there's room for us to talk about it. And that's really, I think, awfully important. Yeah, it's, it, uh, it's interesting that you don't say agreeing you're saying respecting differences i think that many times 
two opposite things. Of course, this is a podcast. You can't see my hands, but I show my clients, I twist my hands in two different positions. And I say different ideas have to sit quietly next to each other. And that is directly from Sonia Nevis, who is the most wonderful Gestalt therapist in Cleveland and where I studied. And letting the differences sit quietly, not battling that need to be right, that need to win, that competitiveness, that isn't going to work in a relationship. And having that room to breathe so that you both feel differently. My favorite example, I would love to interview them, is Mary Maitland and uh, James Carvel. He was Clinton's campaign manager and she was Bush's campaign manager and they're married and they've been married a long time. And I, I want to interview them because I think it's fascinating that they have clearly maintained their respect. One of the things I say often is respect is more important than love. Wow. So what do you do when there is a topic in the marriage where they're just two different opinions. Maybe it's about politics. Maybe it's about the pandemic. Uh, who knows? How do you do those 25 to 50 conversations where every time it ends up with someone feeling very irritated or maybe both? Well, I think the irritation is if you feel a need to win. So if you have to be right and you have to win, you're going to be frustrated. But if you can have enough respect that there's another way to look at it, there's another way, like different ideas about what safety is during the pandemic, okay? Those different ideas, you need to do what you need to do, but then I'm going to make my decisions based on what I think is, is safer. And you, but you have to have those conversations and they have to continue because you don't know enough about where each other is coming from. And sometimes I end up feeling like I'm Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. I'm squeezing oil on the Tin Man so he can talk. And I'm trying to help those conversations continue. And often I will give the uh, one partner, I think this is what they're saying. I think this is what's important. And my respect for that partner leaks over to the person I'm talking to. And then I do the same thing with the other partner. So it's always about continuing that respect about differences. You're this way, you're wired this way. They're wired this way. You have to fit two people who are wired differently together in a relationship. Um, one of the things that uh, one of the blog posts I wrote was that couples who don't fight, they have real problems. And, and I took so much abuse for that. Uh, people just, oh, I didn't know what I was talking about. But again, if you're being authentic and if you're being honest in your relationship, then there's going to be butting of heads. There's going to be differences and doing and talking in a respectful way about those differences, that's really what makes a relationship work. And, and if there's no arguing, somebody's swallowing. Somebody is just swallowing, and that's a true gestalt moment. They're swallowing their resentments. They're not being real about them, and they're going to pile up, and they're going to blow up. So being authentic creates conflict, yes. and that's okay. Yes. 
and it can be done respectfully. It doesn't have to be ugly. You know, ugliness is a whole different story. But if, you know, I really disagree with you. This is really hard for me to talk about because blah, blah, blah. The more you can flesh it out and be vulnerable, this is why this really matters to me. I grew up with a father and a grandfather and we all went hunting together and it was really the only thing we shared. We didn't really share anything else. It's really important to me to teach our son, even though you're opposed to him learning how to hunt, for example. Nice. Wonderful. Um, what do you think uh, makes a couple a healthy couple? So having conversations that are being able to disagree respectfully, accepting that you're wired differently not expecting a clone. There was a Woody Allen movie that started out with um, him talking about how relationships are hard and everybody wants a clone. And then the nurse, he was in a doctor's office, the nurse turns into another Woody Allen. And that moment is about, I think we do want clones. We want people to agree with us. We want people to be like us. And that's not how it is. And so being a grown up, and this is a gestalt moment, growing up is, this is Fritz Perls, is honestly facing painful situations. So being able to recognize painful truths. Um, I'm watching a show called Rectify and It is about a man who'd been in prison at 17. He's released at 35. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's very uh, powerful show. And in it, oh, they, uh, husband and wife go to therapy and he says to her, be honest with me, stop telling me what I want to hear. And she finally erupts with, I don't think I want to be married to you anymore. And he's relieved. The therapist is, you know, says, how are you feeling? And he says, I'm really glad to know the truth because that's what I thought. And I, I liked it because I thought it was a moment of authenticity does not have to be a terrible thing. And he was hungry for it. And recognizing that is really important. So authenticity, I think, is important. Um, I think that um, giving up the self-righteousness of anger and being a top dog, you know, everybody's got to win. You know, I actually got in trouble in an internship because I wasn't somebody who was competitive and I was told there was something wrong with me. I'm just not that way. I think there's lots of room for all of us to do things differently. I have immense respect for the differences. And I think that when you need to win and when you have to be self-righteous, you end up losing a lot. And you also are a closed system. And when you're a closed system, you're just not gonna have enough openness for somebody else's differences. So self-righteousness is not a positive for a healthy couple. Beautiful. And, and, and you talk about differences and I'm thinking about couples that I work with and uh, all couples have differences, of course, because Absolutely. we're not clones and that would be boring if we were clones of each yes. other. But one of the hard uh, topic when differences come up is around sexuality, around the sexual need, sexual uh, libido. Yes. Uh, any advice so, on that? Yeah. So um, I, 
one of the things that I enjoy is that when I bring up sex, which I usually do pretty early on, men look relieved and happy and smile at me. And I can tell they're thinking, oh, maybe this therapy thing isn't going to be so terrible. You know, maybe I'll get to talk about something that's really missing. And I think estrogen and testosterone are very, very different things. And I think you can see that um, in the gay male community, I th in those relationships, a double testosterone marriage you can see sex is a higher priority. And I think that testosterone and estrogen are two different things. And being able to talk about what is important, what are, what are our priorities as a couple? And I think women often can miss their sexual peak in their mid-30s, which I think is a shame. And I think, blow it off and say, you know, it's not that important, I wanna cuddle. Um, and make excuses. And I think they're underestimating that testosterone is important. And it might even be something to be glad of because it keeps sexuality going and sexuality is about pleasure. I keep saying to people, what the heck? It is the easiest, cheapest, free thing that source of pleasure. And why pass it up? I don't understand it. And so being able to put sex on the table as a priority and not let it just be ignored, I think is incredibly important. And I think I even had, when I was doing a training once of therapists, uh, couples therapists, uh, it was just a one day workshop, but the guy had actually signed up twice and he, he was in his seventies and he was like quite proud of himself. And he said, I never talk about sex. And I looked at him and I said, then you're doing your couples a disservice and it's wrong. And I just, I couldn't believe he thought that was okay. I, I just, I was astonished, but I took him on because it, it, it does matter. And I think every relationship has to have, again, those conversations and they also change. Your priorities can change depending on on your age and what's going on. Um, but it can't be all on one person's terms. It's got to be a healthy couple is going to mutually decide priorities together. So, so, so why do you think it happens that women give up on sex and pleasure? I think it's pleasure. about estrogen. I do. Uh, after menopause is a much more difficult time for women. Uh, and because there is no estrogen and yet it's still, it takes longer. Actually. Um, I was just talking to one of my clients about that earlier. And she said, I think I found a really patient man. Um, and she's in her late fifties. And I was so happy for her. She said, I've not, she's been dating a long time. And she said, I've never had anybody be patient and concerned about my needs sexually. And after menopause, the time it takes to orgasm is a much longer thing. And so that kind of attention is very meaningful. And she's kind of really excited about this person. So, you know, being, I, I think women can just flatline estrogen. You can just kind of decide it's not that big a deal. Um, it's not that important because testosterone is different. Testosterone is a nudge. You guys are thinking about it way more often. And it's just, it's a natural part of how your hormones work. 
but ignoring it when you're a couple, I don't think is fair play. So uh, I want to ask you about anger and specifically about men, men that are angry, uh, because that's a topic that uh, I'm actually struggling myself sometimes. Uh, uh, it's like it gets to, to a level where, you know, instead of thinking about sex a lot, you think about how angry you are a lot. And uh, when you get to it, I, I am always astonished how fast uh, women can recover from anger and move into another feeling. And for men uh, and me personally, sometimes we get stuck. Um, what is it about men anger that is uh, unique for men? I think there's more of a top dog nature to it. I need to be right. I, I need to feel like I'm the top dog. And that need pushes anger into a too far place or a too ugly place or a too much place and shuts down conversations. I also think that men often have a hard time defining their emotions. Um, on my emotions page of the website, I have a two-page printout of different emotions. I actually developed it when I did incest work with people and kids were having a hard time talking about their feelings. So I put a different feeling word on each index card and just asked them to shuffle through the deck and then pick out four or five that fit how they feel, which is what I tell my males or my women who have male proclivities towards not sharing emotions. And I say, just practice each day for a couple of weeks scanning this two-page list, pick four or five that fit how you're feeling, and describe, make some sentences, and practice that sharing of a vocabulary. If you don't have the vocabulary, so my, the thing that I think is the emotion that's most often under anger is disappointment, and I don't think men really are articulate about talking about their disappointments. I actually think women can take up a tremendous, too much space talking about their disappointments. And men, I, it, it's a little stereotypical, but I think it does happen a lot. And then men don't talk about their disappointments. And I think, for example, just use sex. I'm really disappointed. I'm being a guy right now. I'm really disappointed that our sex life doesn't seem to be a priority for you and and it it's missing for me and it I, I I'm upset about that can we talk about that what people do instead is avoid deflect avoid deflect now, we are in such a cultural moment of such tremendous uh, avoiding and deflecting that it's it's really incredible how rare authenticity is and being able to say i'm disappointed this is missing i'm disappointed that you are not you don't seem to care you know that it's missing um so i think learning to express disappointments helps men with anger i think it helps relationships I think underneath anger are generally hurts and wants. And so being able to stop and think, it's hurtful that our sex life is missing. What do you want? I would like to restore it to be more of a priority. 
and thinking about what your intention is in your relationship. Do you want a deeper connection? Do you want to have someone to travel with? Is fun important? Is sex important? And thinking about what matters to you, uh, but being able to communicate instead of stashing the anger and then needing to be right and kind of dumping in that moment. Um, I think if you can describe the vulnerable feelings underneath anger and asking men to be vulnerable is tough. Um, I always make jokes about getting men in therapy. Women drag them, their mothers die, or something happens that's a trauma. And those are the three ways men often come to therapy, uh, most often with me anyway. It's a small experiment, but there is validity to it. And I think that being able to be vulnerable is part of that problem. Being able to say, I'm struggling, you know? Uh, it's a lot easier to be powerful and say, I'm angry. Uh, and, and being able to say, I'm hurt, that's a whole different ballgame. Wow, they, they, that, these are great stuff. So I just want to reiterate what you just, just a little bit of what you just said. So many times men tend to get angry because underneath that they're actually disappointed because, and they're disappointed that they didn't really uh, express it, perhaps because they don't even know what their needs are and sure. how to ask them, or if they do know, it's too vulnerable to share it. Yes. And you're advocating vulnerability and authenticity. And I agree. I think that's actually sexy. <laughs> yeah, I think it is too. I, I think it's a, it really takes a lot of strength to be vulnerable. Right. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have a culture that supports being vulnerable and authentic, in my experience. Um, I think they're kind of looked down upon. I think that's why there's so many so much energy in conspiracy theories because there's an intensity about conspiracy theories and it's outside of you, but really trying to deal with your own life and what you want to do to make it better. That's a whole lot harder to do. That's very interesting. Uh, um, like uh, what, what can you, can you elaborate about the, the, the conspiracy thing? Because how can you, how, how can you look into, you know, I, I look at it as a circle of influence, right? Like there's th certain things that you can influence and, you sh and that's where you can focus on or you can focus on all sorts of things that you have zero influence on. Uh, but, but the other side is, is like, yeah, but we should care about these things too. So what, what do you think? I think we should care about these things, but I think when there's an intensity and a belief in conspiracy theories, that's a whole different level. I mean, being concerned about politics and what's going on in the world is one thing. Buying into uh, conspiracy theories is another. And I think it's about intensity. And I think being able to look at yourself and decide that you, you're, you have to be responsible for your insecurity. You have to be responsible for your growth. Um, my favorite card my husband ever gave me, I think it's dated 1983, I'm not positive, uh, but it, it says, I've never met anybody who works so hard at life and love and work as you. 
and and I, it is my favorite card. And I do. I wear. Uh, my mother was mentally ill. She had a very serious mental illness. I am passionate about what I do and helping people connect. And I really feel it's a calling. It it, it isn't just. Um, a work life. It is a passion. And so being able to help people think about how to help themselves grow, uh, because I did that for myself. Uh, and then I kind of dragged my husband along into looking at himself and being able to wrestle with your own demons instead of just seeing them out there as projection and the the intensity of it to me is so suspicious zealots um, of any type to me um they're just too far off balance and there's this balance about caring about the world and caring about your inner life and how to make your life better and you always that yin and yang you've always got to have balance to both Great. This is so rich. You know, I, I, as, as you're talking, I'm writing notes and usually I, I do that and I have a few notes that I put on the show notes and here I have already, I don't know, a couple of uh, like 20 or something. Yeah. Wow. Uh, thank, thank you. It's, it's a serious, it's a serious, it's a serious effort on my part. You know, I've been doing this a really long time and um, I don't, you know, most of my friends are retired and uh, I have absolutely no interest. I do want to work less. Uh, I keep, I just took somebody yesterday um, <laughs> and I shouldn't have, you know, I really shouldn't have, but um, there's something about the, the opportunity and the honor of sharing people's lives and helping them think about how to make things better. That is an incredible journey. Yeah. Wow. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to ask, go back for a second on to the, to, to the top dog um, phenomena or need, like what, what's going on with that? What can a man do? when he's aware that he's affected by this, this need, how can he communicate better? I have to, I think you have to begin with self-awareness uh, and self-confrontation. Uh, my next episode uh, is going to be on self-confrontation. I think people that lack self-awareness are difficult partners. And I think becoming more self-aware is part of the inner work that we're talking about in growing. So if you are more self-aware, you stop and think, whoa, how much do I need to be right? How much do I need to win? How many of the last five fights we've had have I won? How self-righteous am I? Um, really asking yourself honestly, I, it's interesting, I think, when somebody lives alone, they don't have as much feedback about who they are. I was just talking earlier to somebody about that during the pandemic. She and her boyfriend have been spending different amounts of time with each other. And, and I said to her, I think he lacks self-awareness. He's never lived with anybody and he's had things on his own terms and he loves kicking you out when he's ready to yeah, enough already. And then you, he, he gets to welcome you back and it's really very lopsided. Uh, but that's the kind of guy he is. And, and it's not cause he's bad. 
it's because he lacks self-awareness. And I said, you've got to talk to him about this without nagging, but you've got to kind of help him see that it's lopsided and that if things are really on his terms uh, 90% of the time. So a little bit of self-awareness, a little bit of uh, confronting yourself. And when somebody you care about says, you know, you're really winning way too much here and the relationship is a little lopsided, being able to hear that and digest it and take it in instead of what everybody does, getting so defensive that you don't hear it, you let it bounce off your wall and bounce over, you know, and you're like, that's not me. That's not who I am. You know, I still remember when Sonia Navis, my favorite therapist, said to me, you, and we had, I, I will set it up a little, we had an appointment in Cambridge. We weren't really having problems, but I really wanted to go visit. We were on vacation near Boston. And we go in and it, it was terrible because there was the big dig. They were digging a subway and, and we got lost. And I hate Boston. And it, it was awful. And so we were just kind of miserable. And we show up in Sonia's place. And Sonia's like wonderful as always. But what I remember is she said to me, you're not listening to Bounce. My husband's nickname is Bounce. And she said, and I went, inside I went, what? Me? Not listening? That's all I do. Oh my God. And I, I fought it, but I didn't say it out loud. And the whole way home in the car, I went, what can I do? Because I believe her. I don't want to realize this is true about me, but I believe her. Um, there's a quote that I posted that's uh, from a TV show, Russian Dolls. And it says, you are not, the, you are the worst, you are the, the worst storyteller of your life. I'm crucifying it, but that's the idea. And you, you can't narrate your own life. You need feedback from other people. So when I, I believed in her, I had faith in her. And I drove, we drove back from Boston to Pittsburgh, which is a long trip. And I said, what can I do? And I taught myself to put my hand over my mouth. And I do it to this day because I believed her. I didn't want it to be true because I, I, I listen to people all day long. I must get used up. <laughs> but I believed her. And so I, I took it and I said, what am I going to do different? And I really learned that lesson. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, we, we could go on and on with these and, and so much so much to learn from you. Rhoda Summer, you are a very wise person and thank you so much for being generous. Uh, we have, before we, we let you go, we have to just uh, balance things up with generosity. Uh, we, we are advocates of generosity, but there is uh, potentially a dark side to generosity um, and that's something that you are also, uh, you know, you've been done, you've been doing a lot of work on, on uh, helping people realize that. Can you explain to us a little bit about overly generous? Yes. So if you're overly generous and you're a people pleaser, it means you're really good at telling people what they want to hear. You're constantly clocking the reactions of other people instead of being grounded in your own reactions and what's real or true or authentic for you. And so if you're overly generous, 
and a people pleaser, you want to balance it out by being, and it also actually sets you up to be manipulated. Um, I didn't even think about that part, but that, that is absolutely part of it as well. You are much more likely to be manipulated because you're not speaking about your needs and you allow relationships to be lopsided. So I agree with you that generosity is really important, but it needs that balance. Again, everything is about balance. I always say problems are about the extremes. And when you have a balance to generosity of authenticity and you put those two things together, then you're gonna have a much better situation. Authentic generosity. I yes. love that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I'm into that. Uh, generosity that doesn't ignore your own needs and your own uh, hurts and wants. That's right. Thank you so much, Roda, Samuel. Uh, where can people find out more details about your podcast and about you? So the podcast is an app, What Healthy Couples Know That You Don't, and you can go to the website. There's over 450 pages of free information at therapyideas.net. Thanks so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. We'll yeah, thank you. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, we will put all the links uh, for the app and for the website on our show notes and on generousmarriage.com. And thank you for much, so much for being here. This was so full packed with the practical tips that people can use. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening for another episode of Generous Marriage. Uh, we're waiting for you on generousmarriage.com with an, a bonus um, um, piece of information. Uh, uh, it's a gift from Roda that you will see back there when you go into the website into today's episode. Uh, so go check that out now and we will see you next week on the Generous Marriage Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.